This is Periodically Political, brought to you by Elect STEM. We bring you stories of where politics intersects science. My name is Chris Caputo, and I'll be your co-host today, along with Darren Anderson. Our guest today is Dr. Jennifer McKelvey, who is the City Councillor for Ward 25 Scarborough Rouge Park in the City of Toronto. She's a Bachelor of Science degree in Environmental Science from the University of Toronto Scarborough and a PhD from the University of Toronto in Geology. During her PhD and throughout her research career, she's received numerous awards, including the NSERC Canada Graduate Scholarship and the L'Oreal UNESCO Women in Science Fellowship. Prior to becoming a counselor, Jennifer managed industrial academic partnerships and undertook environmental research in the nonprofit sector. So welcome to the show, counselor. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be doing a podcast with two chemists. It's been a long time. <laughs> so one thing we're trying to do with Elect STEM is to really engage more uh, scientists and engineers, people with a STEM background in the political process. And we're trying to do that through hearing stories from people like yourself who've made that, that leap. So our first question to you is, how and why did you decide to get involved in politics in the first place? Well, certainly, I don't think it was the plan. Um, I very much enjoyed uh, all of the research that I did under um, uh, my both graduate and postgraduate work, and then uh, had a very fulfilling career in the nonprofit sector, specifically working on um, my projects in the past have been on uh, remediation of oil and gas, as well as looking at what the plan should be for, for Canada's nuclear waste. And I think certainly after working in such a field for 20 years, you start to think, okay, well, well, how can we get good public policy so that we're not having underground leaking storage tanks of gasoline? And, and how, can we, how did we get into this position where we had a very large stockpile of nuclear waste without any long-term plan on that? So I really started to become really interested in the public policy side of things and how we could kind of start to shift to be towards being more proactive as opposed to reactive. And certainly, I think in terms of climate change as scientists, um, scientists have been ringing the alarm for decades. And, you know, we only now have public policymakers really catching up with scientists. And I think it's a very exciting time to be in politics and to drive action on climate change. And that's certainly what I'm looking forward to doing at Toronto City Hall. So you're one of the first municipal politicians that we've had a conversation with. We've had one other uh, city councillor from uh, the city of Guelph on the show. But um, obviously, municipal office is, is different than federal and different than provincial. And um, I know it, it's often thought of as the third uh, third piece of government. I, I actually have recently been reading uh, somebody that was suggesting that it should really be thought of as the first layer, because it's obviously the piece that's closest to, uh, to most of our day-to-day lives. But why did you choose to run for municipal office? rather than, uh, than uh, you know, getting involved in, in the political system some, in a different way? Well, cities have the potential to make big change quickly. Uh, we're much more nimble than our provincial or our federal governments. And I'll give a good example, um, especially on climate policy. You look towards how difficult it can be to drive action at the federal level. And that's because you're looking at the needs across a very vast country. And the needs could be very different in the ability to act and the capacity to act could be different. A good example is, um, you know, there it looks south of the border. Um, so there was, you know, considerable movement under President Obama towards action on climate change. And then there was a huge reset and step back under President Trump. And at that time, 
um, you know, federally they were failing to act. But Mayor of L.A., Mayor Garcetti, got up there and said, you know, even if the White House is out, we're in. And L.A. still made considerable strides towards combating climate change on their own. So there's a lot of power in cities. And that's actually starting to come together globally. There's a network called C40. And there are cities that are working together. They have declared climate emergencies. Toronto is one of those. In uh, 2019, we declared a climate emergency. We set our goals for greenhouse gas emissions to be net zero by 2050 or sooner. Um, So cities have a huge capacity to act. Um, They can move more quickly. And I think certainly in terms of Toronto and why I'm excited to be a Toronto councillor is that as the largest municipality in Canada, we have a huge responsibility to act, to be a leader and to pilot new technologies. And that's something that I'm very excited that we're doing here in the city because the information we're gaining can be shared more widely and help other municipalities also take climate action. It's funny that you you say it in that way, because I think one of the things that we've heard consistently in the podcast is, you know, why people are running for politics and, and that that ability to make an impact is it comes through from everybody that we've talked to. And I can definitely hear it, hear it from you. So, you know, you, you decided you were going to run. What does running for a city council look like for folks that might be considering, you know, throwing their hat in the ring at some point? So I first ran in 2014. Uh, I will say I was not successful. I was running against an 18-year incumbent. There are no party systems, so you're very much um, based on your own personal brand and who you are. So people aren't walking into your your office because, you know, they're a card-carrying conservative or liberal or NDP. They're walking into your office because they're interested in what you have to say. And so um, it's much harder to... to, um, to to get your message out but then it's also incredibly fulfilling um, when you are able to connect with people because you're not stuck with those party lines so you can just come up with you know your own ideas and the ideas of the community and champion those so um in 2014 we knocked on all the doors it was more than 20,000 doors um most of your days are spent walking um and knocking on doors and talking to people and it's just incredibly fulfilling to hear what they have to say because you're also able to take the best of those ideas and bring those forward to 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 your your platform and and hopefully once elected to city hall um so while i didn't win in 2014 i learned a whole lot um i was undeterred i very much enjoyed the experience and i brought that forward into 2018 I was the first candidate to sign up in my ward. Um, I was the also the first candidate to sign up again when the ward boundaries changed. Uh, we originally, I thought I was running um, in an open ward. I didn't have an incumbent. About partway through the election, uh, Premier Ford changed the the number of councillors, and I ended up running up against an incumbent. Um, but fortunately, I think the hard work of 2014 really helped me to pave the way to be successful in 2018. So what did you learn in 2014 when when you were unsuccessful? You said you learned a ton. What were the biggest lessons that you wish you'd known going into the 2014 election? Well, I think just that, well, firstly, I think um, what I wish I had told knew and told myself at the, the beginning was um, you would be okay if you lost. Um, you know, <laughs> um, it is incredibly common to lose your first election. And I think especially as scientists, you know, we're not we're not used to that kind of failure. We don't accept that, um, you know, easily. Right. It, it's not <laughs> who we are as scientists. So after I lost the first election, 
I was quite fortunate that within about a couple of weeks, I had bumped into Mayor Tory and, and he told me, you know, as, as we know, Mayor Tory's had some pretty significant election, very public election losses. He was undeterred. He lost the first time he ran for mayor. He got back out there and he was successful the second time around. I also bumped into Premier Kathleen Wynne, who told me she had lost her first election. So you think, hmm. you know, here are people that are incredibly successful at the very top levels in their fields. They suffered election losses, um, and it's it's you know part of of politics. And so um, I think that's something that I learned. Um, I also how to run a campaign uh, at the municipal level. You're not given a campaign in the box like you are in the provincial or the federal levels. So um, you know what are the how do you get a website? How do you develop literature? Where do you get it printed? Um, well, how do you you have to design your own logo? Um, so all of that hard work in 2014, I was able to carry forward into 2018. But I think the big lesson is you may not be successful the first time around. Don't beat yourself up about it. Um, you know, there's there's a grit will take you a long way in politics. And I think it also takes you a long way in science too. continued perseverance. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and it's one of the things that all investors focus on for exactly the reason that you talk about, because everyone always talks about their companies going up and to the right. And in reality, it's always a roller coaster and there's always setbacks. And you know, I think it's part of part of any successful career. Um, so you mentioned, you know, getting started and building a website and a logo and all that other kind of stuff. Did you bring in an experienced campaign manager to advise you? Did you do it on your own? What did building, did you build a team? What did that piece of it look like? So in 2014, I had a wonderful campaign manager that was, um, uh, worked at City Hall. And so she understood how City Hall worked. Um, she was a, a, a staff member there. And so I just bumped into her at a community event. We started talking um, and uh, it was it was her first campaign to manage as well as, as uh, you know, it was my first campaign. But uh, we had an excellent relationship and she had that city hall experience that I was lacking. Um, and so it was it was great to have her because her, she uh, she knew how city hall worked. Um, she was also very good. And so I would suggest any scientist also does this is um, she's a great uh, communicator and you know scientists we can sometimes techno babble um, <laughs> and so she was very good at saying you know practicing for debates and saying you know you, you sound like a scientist not a politician here you need to um, you know break it down um, you know be more accessible um, be a little more fun and you know that's something <laughs> else too I think scientists you know we we're, we have that serious side but you know it uh, be you know show people that the real you um, and so uh, I'm very grateful that I had uh, her advice during that campaign. Um, you know, presenting and speaking at a debate is a little bit different, um, <laughs> quite a bit different than speaking at a conference, right? Um, the joke, the other joke I always make about that is, you know, when you give a political speech, people will sometimes clap in the middle. And I always joke that, you know, as a scientist, I'm used to them clapping at the end. And that's just because they're happy it's over. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, there is that kind of side of, um, you know, just just being a little more yourself than than the polished scientist that, uh, you know, I think we're kind of taught in grad school to be um, that way when you're at a conference. Um, but speaking to the public is quite different. That That's fascinating. Uh, did you have to do a lot of fundraising in advance of the campaign? What did the what did funding your campaign look like? So, I mean, I think one thing I did and somebody had warned me about this. Um, 
I, in the 2014 campaign, I put a very large amount of my own money towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, um, personally, and then I did fundraise as well. Um, and, I, I was okay with that though, because I, I look at it as, you know, as as scientists, we look at, you know, investing in tuition, <laughs> investing in ourselves, and so I did look at my personal contribution to the campaign as as an investment in in you know my future and in something that I was very committed to doing. Um, so, and somebody had said to me like, you know, um, careful how much money you put into it because you know if you lose, you you don't want to to feel that loss. I mean, I have zero regrets about um, the personal investment I made into it. Um, in 2018, um, because of the work I had done in 2014, because I was so close, um, and and not only that, but after I lost the election in 2014, I continued to work on the issues that were important to me. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, president of our local community association. I started a nonprofit um, with the Rotary Clubs. The Rotary Clubs saw what I had done in 2014 election, and they asked me to to start a new organization called Renew Scarborough and -hmm. to be their first president. So I set up a nonprofit that was looking at how we could um, invest in Scarborough, how we can bring jobs, how we can bring renewal. Um, And so I I still took action on the things that I was was interested in in 2014. Um, So that really paved the way for 2018. Um, And in 2018, um, I didn't put any money into my own campaign because I had enough funders that came forward. And that's really because they saw my commitment. And so I kind of always leave that advice with people, show your commitment, be the first person to sign up on day one, um, you know, spend the time knocking on doors, um, make sure people know that you are committed to the community. And I certainly um, spent four years after my first election loss doing that. So in terms of that commitment, were you employed when you were running the first time or in that gap between 2014 and 2018? Or how did that piece of it work? So in 2014, I took a leave of absence just for the last, uh, I believe it was about six weeks of the campaign. Um, And I took a leave of absence, an unpaid leave of absence from work. Um, And then on the weekends um, and nights, I was canvassing. So I had a day job and then every night and weekends, I was out knocking on doors. And then for the last six, six weeks, I was every day off knocking on doors. In 2018, um, likewise, so I had signed, I I was committed to running again. So I had actually signed my contract with um, work to to assume I was going to win because I was going to go all in and I was committed and I needed that level of commitment. And I wanted to, I wanted to put that pressure on myself that um, I didn't have a backup plan. There was no mm-hmm. plan B. I was going to win in 2018 because I had worked so hard for, since 2014. Um, so, so I, I did have things done a little bit differently in, uh, in 2018. I had very much lined it up, um, to, to do that hard work and, and hopefully be successful in 2018. So it was about a, a huge surprise when the ward boundaries changed and the number of doors, the number of doors I had to knock on doubled. Um, and instead of running in an open ward, I was running um, against an incumbent, um, but uh, I was undeterred. Uh, same, I took about six weeks off work to uh, to knock on doors. Um, it was incredible watching the, the Fitbit and seeing the number of kilometers <laughs> per day. Um, it was great. I will say that in, uh, in 2014, I lost 20 pounds knocking on doors, um, and, uh, you know, that that was one added benefit that you get out of it is the exercise. Um, so I, I do very much enjoy canvassing and 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 you never know 
what I will say this, like part of why that's so enjoyable, you don't know what you're going to get on the other side of the door. Each door is a surprise. And in 2014, just some of the stories that that pop out is one lady said, hey, I'm hatching butterflies and one of them is, is about to unroll its wings. Do you want to watch? And I said, sure. So I, I went into this lady's house and I watched this butterfly unroll its wings. Um, another lady whose door I knocked on, um, she she had this look of excitement on her face when the door knocked and then she kind of looked disappointed. And I said, oh, I think you're waiting for somebody else. And she said, well, I was waiting for my sister to tell her that I'm in remission from breast cancer. Oh. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you. And so I was hugging this lady that I did not know. And I got to hear this great news story out of her before she was even able to tell her family. Um, and I'll just give you one more example. Um, knocking on doors in this this uh, gentleman said, would you like to come in and, and see my my organ? I have the largest electric organ in Canada. And so I went in and um, he has an organ that spans his entire living room. And uh, he played a song for me. So, so I mean, this is this, these are the good things you don't hear about, um, you know, when you are spending all that time canvassing and why it is so enjoyable. And, and that also contributes to, again, you know, I did lose in 2014, but it was an incredibly great experience. That's so inspirational and I think would make a huge difference for our listeners to hear a story of somebody that's had that both the failure and the fact that, you know, you weren't deterred by it. And it was something you're excited about and, and that success. Hearing the positive side of canvassing, you know, I think is is an amazing thing to hear. I, I get a lot of feedback from folks who are interested, but that's their biggest concern. I'm really afraid to knock on doors. I don't know what to expect, but you're right. It's it's not all bad. We, we shouldn't be worried about this. We can get some great experiences on this front. Um, so yeah, switching gears a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk a bit about your STEM background and, you know, ask you how this, you know, your education and your training influenced your success now that you've been elected. Um, well, it's a great question. And, you know, I kind of always tell people uh, certainly that developing site-specific natural isotope fractionation, nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy for analysis, methyl tertiary butyl ether hasn't done much for me at City Hall. Um, but uh, it is something that, uh, you know, both of you as chemists could actually understand. Um, but sir, what what did help is that having to break that down and actually explain what that is to my mom, um, it, you know, was very helpful. And uh, so just that that communication experience that, um, you know, I, I was very fortunate that my PhD supervisor is an amazing communicator, Barbara Sherwood Luller. Um, and she would always teach us when we went into a conference, um, we should have three key messages. And, uh, you know, that is all you're going to be able to get across in this amount of time. So be very clear, be very concise in your message. Um, so so I think that that's something that we're able to, to bring to the table as, as scientists. Um, we're also used to huge amounts of information and being able to break that down. And, you know, the city hall agendas, each, each um, agenda has over 100 items, you know, looking at, you know, a few hundred pages each month at council. Um, and so being able to, you know, go through that to find the key things to ask questions. Scientists are great at asking questions. Um, they can bring that with them when they move into politics to ask those hard questions, to understand those topics, to challenge city staff on um, thinking outside the box, to being creative. So um, while I'm not uh, using, you know, SNF NMR on a regular basis at City Hall, um, I certainly 
um, am, I am happy that I, that I, you know, worked on that technology, I developed it. Um, but I think there are learnings from that work, um, including perseverance on developing a new technique. You know, scientists, we spend time in the lab, things don't work out and you have to, you know, get up and grit is what gets you forward. And, and so all of that is something you can bring to a career in politics. There's so many transferable skills that we learn along the way. We're doing so much more in this training. Um, do you ever find that scientific issues actually come up at the municipal level that you can like really easily speak to? Well, for sure, for sure. And something I will also say is that um, I encourage graduate students to come forward. And so we had our, a good example is our biodiversity strategy at the city. And we had some students that came forward and I thank them so much. I was so grateful that they're there. Um, since I've transitioned into politics, I've had uh, numerous phone calls with uh, graduate students that are just interested in, in learning about certain policy topics. And I always encourage them to come forward as well to, to depute at City Hall and to to um, share their opinions. So um, just some some good examples of, of where I think I am using my science background. You know, um, at City Hall, you can put 1% of your time into 100 things, or you can focus on, you know, three big initiatives that you want to move forward. So um, one of them that I'm very passionate about is uh, the ravine strategy. I'm putting a lot of time into that. Um, it's looking at how we can manage our, our ravine systems in a more holistic way. Um, so that uh, we have multiple siloed departments right now, Toronto Water will go in and do work and then transportation will go in and do work and then someone will go in and do the invasive species work and someone will do the litter, but how can we be better coordinated to, um, to do all the work that needs to get done at the same time? Because um, that leads to efficiencies that over time will lead us to be more successful. Um, so the ravine strategy is one. And the other one, of course, is Transform TO. Um, and that's the city's climate change strategy. And so I have worked in uh, um, academic industrial partnerships for quite some time. So some of the things that I was bringing forward to that is, um, you know, asking who's on the advisory committee. Um, you know, what experts can we have that can provide input in here? Understanding the way peer review works, you know, um, can we have other cities that look at this and give us their opinion as well? Um, so I think there's a, a scientific process um, that, uh, you know, I am trying to bring that process forward on some of these very important strategies at the city. Uh, Transform TO, we've just changed the goal to be net zero by 2050 or sooner. Um, we're trying to char chart that ambitious plan. And so, um, you know, I think scientists are ambitious and, uh, you know, uh, we can push the, the political side to be ambitious too. I love hearing that. Like, it's really inspiring and, and what, what we can do as scientists to push these issues forward and, and really make a difference. Um, on a, I guess, higher level, which speaks to this point is like, so how can we, we know that there's uh, not an equal representation of STEM educated folks in our political systems? Like we're really underrepresented compared to how many of us have STEM degrees. Do you have any ideas on how we can engage more scientists and engineers in the political system? Well, there are a few, as you're right. The good thing is there's some great examples. And the ones that all come to mind are chemists for some reason. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, both Margaret Thatcher, Angela Merkel, they're chemists. Mm -hmm. um, Lisa Raitt was a biochemist by training. Uh, I'm a geochemist. Um, so I think there's something that's naturally programmed in maybe in the chemistry brain uh, <laughs> that makes us interested in politics. Um, so I, I think bringing more, more, more scientists and engineers to the political process is is incredibly important. 
And by nature, they tend not to be political. And I don't know why. Um, so certainly I've also, while I am uh, running, ran and, and work at the municipal level, I've been to um, political uh, conferences by, uh, you know, at the provincial or at the federal level. And there is a lack of scientists there. And so, you know, I would encourage them to, to get involved, um, you know, in the, the political process identify the party that most aligns with your your ideas and you know go to those conferences and they vote on policy there right and there is policy and um, so that's one way that you can get involved and then also start to gain a level of comfort that it's not this um this unknown foreign uh process you know you can be part of it um so th so that's one um, and then certainly I did mention before the depute, right? So I tell graduate students, have a look at uh, the City Hall agendas. Um, they're available. It's called TMMIS, uh, the Toronto Meeting Management Information Services. I think that's what it stands for. Um, I don't know. Acronyms, you know, uh, not my forte anymore. Um, but, you know, look at the agendas on TMMIS. And uh, when they come to committee, you can sign up and speak for five minutes. Tell us what you think. Tell us, tell us where we can be more ambitious. Tell us how your work fits into it. Um, I've seen uh, certainly on the biodiversity strategy, we had graduate students that came out and told us about specific invasive species um, and, uh, you know, why they thought they were a problem. And, um, you know, some of them weren't identified as, as key ones for the city to, to work at. And, and the city staff said, yeah, we'll look into this. Um, so there is the potential for your deputation to drive change. That, that's awesome. And, and that fits into, uh, I think, the last question that we have, which is, what advice would you give our audience of politically curious scientists and engineers if they're considering running for municipal public office? Do it. Try. You won't regret it. You know, I absolutely, I have zero regrets. Um, I had a very fulfilling uh, career in, in the science world. Um, I enjoy it, um, but I really do feel like I, this is the best job I've ever had. I enjoy it so much. I have no regrets. And, you know, I've been able to see some amazing milestones in just the two years that I've been at City Hall. In 2019, we voted to declare a climate emergency and change our greenhouse gas strategy to be net zero by 2050. In 2020, I was there when we celebrated the major milestone of decreasing our greenhouse gas emissions by 30% over 1990 levels. That was a goal we set and we've achieved it. Like it feels good to know that the work is paying off. And this year, here we are, 2021, our city budget, we're starting to look at it holistically on terms of climate action. We are investing $611 million into 439 projects that drive climate action. It is an extremely exciting time for science to be um, part of the discussion to be at the table and we're charting that ambitious course for what's next and I look forward to contributing to that conversation and I am so happy that I'm here so um, just know that uh, I've made the transition I don't regret the transition and this really truly is I, the, I feel the best job I've ever had. Oh, that, that's awesome to hear. Thank you so much Dr. McKelvey uh, and thank you for, for being here with us today and, and sharing your story with our audience. Well, thank you for having me. I don't get to talk to chemists very often, very much enjoy it. And hopefully um, through your podcast, you're, you have inspired um, more to transition from science to politics. And I look forward to seeing them at that table. 
Awesome. Thank you. And for those of you that are listening, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. That helps other folks discover the show and build out our audience of politics, curious scientists, and engineers. So thank you very much. Thank you.